Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to Long Crendon Baptist Church. It's lovely to be able to see you all here in the building, and a very warm welcome to you watching on at home as well. A particular warm welcome if you're here for the first time, or if you're visiting, it's great to have you with us. Now, this morning, we're going to be continuing our series in the book of Nehemiah. Colin is going to be preaching to us a little bit later on. Uh, But to start off with, we've got some news uh, from the church family. Um, Very excitingly, yesterday afternoon, Josh and Helen Shard welcomed their first child into the world. Um, I think we've got a picture of him on the screen here. There he is, Raphael Arthur Charles. So very exciting. Both a child and mother are doing very, very well. So we're very thankful uh, to God. We praise him for the safe delivery. Um, and a huge congratulations to Josh and Helen, but also to Jeff and Francis on the birth of their first grandchild and to Arthur as well for becoming a great granddad for the first time. So that's wonderful, wonderful news. Now, following on nicely from that, um, I hope you've all remembered that today is, in fact, Father's Day. There's a few, a few panicked faces. Don't worry, you've still got time to sort something out. Um, but it's a great day, isn't it, Father's Day? It's a wonderful chance to, to thank our earthly fathers and to thank God for the fathers that we have, for what they've done for us and for who they are. But for many of us, this can be quite a painful day, a day of remembering a father that we might have lost, a day of remembering a father who might have let us down, a day of remembering a father who might not have even been present at all. It's a day when, for some of us, celebrating might be the very last things on our mind. But you see, no matter what your earthly father was like, what a joy it is to know that we have a father in heaven, a father who loves us perfectly and more deeply than any man could. See what great love the father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. What a, what a wonderful truth to know this morning, that because of what Jesus did through, for us through his death on the cross, that we are now part of God's family. He himself is our heavenly father. Let me pray to start off our time together. Dear heavenly father, thank you so much for your great love for us, that even though our sinful hearts reject you at every turn, you love us so much that Jesus was willing to take the punishment that we deserve so that we can experience a relationship with you help us all this morning no matter what our experience is with our earthly fathers to have eyes fixed on you our glorious and loving father in heaven as we praise you and we hear from your word this morning help us i pray for jesus sake amen Uh, Now, seeing as it is Father's Day, I thought it would be nice to hear from one of the dads in our church family to find out a little bit more about them and what it's like to be a dad. So I'd like to invite Alistair Crapp to come up and join me. Alistair, for those who don't know um, your dad, obviously, tell us a bit about your kids. Who are they? What are they up to? Okay, well, the notes are not to remind me of their birth dates, but don't ask (laughs) me that because I can't tell you uh, what I can approximate. Um, uh, We have three boys, uh, Devin and myself, um, Elliot... Uh, Bartholomew, known as Barty, and Gregory. Um, they have lots of common attributes and characteristics. Um, uh, we give thanks that they're all um, believers. Um, and we give thanks for that. Um, <clears throat> they um, have pretty much all departed the nest. Uh, Gregory, the last one to go. Um, by profession, call it what you may, Elliot is a political analyst, lives and works in London, uh, due to be married to Saab's daughter. Um, Barty um, 
uh, works in a form of management consultancy um, and is currently seconded into uh, the Foreign Office um, and lives in London. And uh, Gregory um, has just finished his degree, finals finished last week, um, and is due to move to London uh, to start work in the summer. Okay. Oh, great. Three boys must have been busy then growing yeah. up. Uh, tell us a little bit. Um, Huge some of the, yeah. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about what some of the, the joys are uh, for you of being a father. Um, we're definitely in a different phase now. Um, the number of miles we, we covered supporting them in sport and bands and nightclubs and everything else, um, that has dissipated definitely. Uh, we're still moving junk around London. Um, but... Um, <laughs> Uh, joys, um, I think seeing them uh, through their early years, um, as parents there is no real guidebook as to how to do it. Uh, we've been very dependent on God to give us wisdom to deal with the, the differences and the challenges they face and did we face. Um, so thus far safely delivered, yeah. I think is probably where we're at. Um, there's still a journey to go on. Um, they've worked hard, I think they've... Um, they seek to set a good example to, to us, but also to their friends. Um, and, um, yeah, they, they bring us, uh, you know, much joy. I think our outlook as parents has always been uh, to view them as a blessing, um, not as a challenge. Um, and looking at it through that lens, um, it's certainly made um, parenting um, a pleasure, albeit with its own challenges. Yeah. Oh, great. And what, what are some of those challenges then? What have been the challenges for you? Um, I won't as, go public because the boys have the ability to uh, watch this. <laughs> uh, so I won't go public on those. Um, I think as a parent, maybe more strategically, it's been a case of having the certainty that God is with us as parents, uh, dealing with the uncertainties they face and that we face, that God is ultimately in control and we can rest on him. Um, we can try our best as parents to be what we ought to be and look at the examples and the instruction that God's word gives us. Um, and that has been important for us, I think, to, yes, put our shoulder to the wheel, to press forward and be the best parents we can and be the, an example to them, both as um, me as a father, but also as us as parents. I think um, that axiom that, you know, uh, give me a child till he's seven and I'll show you the man, I think within reason applies and it carries on beyond seven. Um, so I think setting a good example has been probably our life's work to date as much as we can and to be as consistent as we can. Um, but yes, it, it has, hasn't been without its struggles and challenges and, and all of those very real issues that I know, you know society faces and the, the challenges of what relationships are and what the media is pushing in. We've sought to speak very openly with the boys about that. Uh, not be embarrassed about talking about those things because we felt them too, albeit less less extreme. Um, so we've always sought to have an open relationship with the boys and hopefully that they can talk to us when they need to. Yeah, yeah. Oh, great, really helpful. And, and tell us a bit then about, about your dad. Um, what was he like as you were growing up? And, um, um, he was a little bit mad um, <laughs> in some ways. He was great. Um, uh, he died about 20 years ago now. Um, my mother about three years ago. Um, he was very even-tempered. Um, he never really talked about himself. And I think possibly in fairly stark contrast to where society is at now, he never really talked of me. Um, his life was very much working hard, providing stable home life, um, loving my mum, and um, 
them being in partnership. So I think that <clears throat> that did form a very important role model for me in that way. Um, and uh, so a good role model in that regard. Um, he became a believer just before he died. Um, and um, <clears throat> I, But I think... You know, the example he set, um, you know, well before he, he came to a faith position was a good example. Um, uh, and I'm thankful for that. Yeah. Oh, great. That's, that's, that's great to hear. And, and, and so then obviously with you then haven't passed away, sadly. How does then knowing that you have a heavenly father, um, how does that encourage you? How does you, how does that help you? Yeah, um, I, I think, again, going back to, you know, the, kind of being an example, I think, in my, my own personal faith, um, having a dad that was a good father and a good example made the concept of fatherliness um, fairly easy to comprehend. And I know that's a challenge for those that haven't had that particular blessing. And, you know, I feel that quite acutely when I compare you know, my own um, life and that blessing in that regard. Um, but I, I think ultimately it's knowing what you know, God is by character and how he's proven himself to be. And I was just thinking this morning, often when you're in, you know, in the flow, it's quite difficult to see, but when you look back, uh, you can see how the dots have been joined up. Um, so I, I think it's, um, it's that certainty that God is there. He's beckoning us on. Uh, he knows where we're at right now and he knows what's coming and he's calling us forward. And I think it's that forward perspective to keep walking with him. Um, that's been so important and I think you know that that idea of walking through life with your children as well as others with you um, is a very strong message in God's word about him being there and, and wanting to walk through life with us yeah. that's great oh thank, thank you so much Asda for sharing that I know that might not have been easy but that's really helpful to see and, and thanks so much so great just leave the mic down there that's great thank you um, well, we're going to spend some time now praying. Uh, we'll pray for um, for the dads in part of the church family, but also some of the other needs of the church. So let's let's pray. Right. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you are our Father in heaven. Thank you that you are the perfect Father. You love us and you care for us. You teach us through your Word, and you're here with us by your Spirit, guiding and strengthening us each day. And thank you that you're not just the Father, but you're our Father in heaven. Lord, you are stronger and more powerful than we can possibly imagine. You are perfectly holy and perfectly glorious. And we're sorry for the times when we forget or we lose sight of this truth, when we go our own way, when we don't follow you. And we're sorry for when we think that you don't care. Forgive us, Lord, and help us to always remember what you have done for us through your Son and the love you displayed for us through him. That Lord, we want to, to thank you for the safe arrival of Raphael. Lord, thank you for your protection and your provision for Josh and Helen. And we do thank you that this new life has been born to parents who know and trust in Jesus. Lord, we pray that he would continue to stay healthy and he would grow up well. But more importantly than that, Lord, we pray that he will grow up to understand your great love for him and that he would put his trust and his faith in Jesus. Lord, we pray that Josh and Helen would adapt quickly to this big change and you would help them both find time to rest in the midst of all the busyness. Lord, we want to thank you for all of the dads who are part of our church family. Lord, thank you for them. 
Lord, thank you for the, the great responsibility it is to be a father. And we pray you would continue to help them point their whole families towards Jesus in the busyness of life and all that's going on to find time to really care um, spiritually for their families. Lord, thank you uh, for Alistair and his willingness to share, Lord, and um, how important it was for him to have a great example of a father, Lord. We pray that all of our fathers in the, in the church family would be like that as well. They'd be great examples um, to the rest of their families. Lord, we want to pray for those who are struggling this morning, who may have lost the father recently or have been reminded of mistakes their own fathers have made. Lord, bring comfort to them, help them rest in the knowledge that you are their Heavenly Father and we're all your children. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that we can come before you with all of these things, that you care and you listen to all of our prayers. Lord, help us to trust in your answers and in your timing, not for our sake, but for your glory. Help us now as we come to your word. Help Colin as he brings it to us. Give us ears that will hear and hearts that will be willing to be changed by the power of your spirit. Lord, we bring all of this before you for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to stand and sing again, after which Phil and Anne are going to come and read to us, and then Colin will preach. So let's stand now and sing together. Uh, the first reading is from Nehemiah 3, verses 1 to 16. Eliashib, the high priest, and his fellow priests went to work and rebuilt the sheet gate. They dedicated it and set its doors in place, building as far as the Tower of the Hundred, which they dedicated, and as far as the Tower of Hananel. The men of Jericho built the adjoining section, and Zakur, son of Imri, built next to them. The fish gate was rebuilt by the sons of Hashanah. They laid its beams and put its doors and bolts and bars in place. Merimoth, son of Uriah, the son of Hakoz, repaired the next section. Next to him, Meshalam, son of Berechiah, the son of Meshazabel, made repairs, and next to him, Zadok, son of Barna, also made repairs. The next section was repaired by the men of Tekoa, but their nobles would not put their shoulders to the work under their supervisors. The Jeshana gate was repaired by Joida, son of Passia, and Meshalam, son of Besadiah. They laid its beams and put its doors with their bolts and bars in place. Next to them, repairs were made by men from Gibeon and Mizpah, Malatiah of Gibeon and Jadon of Merinoth, places under the authority of the governor of Trans-Euphrates. Uziel, son of Harhiah, one of the goldsmiths, repaired the next section, and Hananiah, one of the perfume makers, made repairs next to that. They restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. Raphiah, son of Hur, ruler of a half-district of Jerusalem, repaired the next section. Adjoining this, Judiah, son of Haramath, made repairs opposite his house, and Hachash, son of Hashabniah, made repairs next to him. Malkijah, son of Harim, and Hashab, son of Pahath Moab, repaired another section and the Tower of the Ovens. Shalom, son of Halahesh, ruler of a half-district of Jerusalem, repaired the next section with the help of his daughters. The valley gate was repaired by Hanan and the residents of Zanoah. They rebuilt it and put its doors with their bolts and bars in place. They also repaired a thousand cubits of the wall as far as the dung gate. The dung gate was repaired by Mikeja, son of Rechab, ruler of the district of Beth Hakarim. He rebuilt it and put its doors with their bolts and bars in place. 
The fountain gate was repaired by Shallon, son of Colhose, ruler of the district of Mizpah. He rebuilt it, roofing it over, and putting its doors and bolts and bars in place. He also repaired the wall of the pool of Siloam by the king's garden, as far as the steps going down from the city of David. Beyond him, Nehemiah, son of Asbuk, ruler of a half-district of Bethsur, made repairs up to a point opposite the tombs of David, as far as the artificial pool and the house of the heroes. Reading is continuing in Nehemiah chapter 7, starting at verse 1. After the wall had been rebuilt and I had set the doors in place, the gatekeepers, the musicians and the Levites were appointed. I put in charge of Jerusalem my brother Hanani, along with Hananiah, the commander of the citadel, because he was a man of integrity and feared God more than most people do. I said to them, the gates of Jerusalem are not to be opened until the sun is hot. While the gatekeepers are still on duty, make them shut the doors and bar them. Also appoint residents of Jerusalem as guards, some at their posts and some near their own houses. Now the city was large and spacious, but there were a few people in it, and the houses had not yet been rebuilt. So my God put it into my heart to assemble the nobles, the officials, and the common people for registration by families. I find the genealogical record of those who have been the first to return. This is what I find written there. These are the people of the province who came up from captivity of the exiles whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had taken captive. They returned to Jerusalem and Judah, each to his own town, in company with Zerubbabel, Joshua, Nehemiah, Azariah, Ramiah, Naamani, Mordecai, Bilshan, Mispareth, Bigvai, Nahum, and Bana. The list of the men of Israel. We're continuing in chapter 7, is verse 61. The following came up from the towns of Tel Mela, Tel Harsha, Kerob, Adon, and Immer, but they could not show that their families were descended from Israel. The descendants of Deliah, Tobiah, and Nakuda, and from among the priests, the descendants of Hubiah, Haikaz, and Barzillai, a man who had married a daughter of Barzillai, the Gileadite, and was called by that name. These searched for their family records, but they could not find them, and so were excluded from the priesthood as unclean. The governor, therefore, ordered them not to eat any of the most sacred food until there should be a priest ministering with the Urim and Thum. And the whole company numbered 42,360, besides their 7,337 male and female slaves, and they also had 245 male and female singers. There were 736 horses, 245 mules, 435 camels, and 6,720 donkeys. Some of the heads of the families contributed to the work. The governor gave to the treasury 1,000 dirhams of gold, 50 bulls, and 530 priests, garments for the priests. 
Some of the heads of the families gave to the treasury for the work 20,000 darics of gold and 2,200 minas of silver. The total given by the rest of the people was 20,000 darics of gold, 2,000 minas of silver and 67 garments for the priests. The priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the musicians and the temple servants along with certain of the people and the rest of the Israelites settled in their own towns. Thanks, Phil and Anne. Uh, well read. Uh, let's just, uh, just take a moment in prayer as we come to this text together. Uh, Father God, we do uh, thank you uh, for your love and for your kindness to us in our Lord Jesus. And we pray, Lord, that by your spirit that we would be changed to live for you today that we would be struck by the beauty of Christ, and that we would build our lives on you. Help us, Lord, to do that. In Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Now that we are in June, well, even considering the recent delays, people are asking what their lives will look like post-lockdown. They're thinking about maybe where they'll go on holiday, whether it will be a staycation, or later in the year, a vacation. Whether people will work from home or in the office or a combination of the two. And maybe husbands are asking uh, whether they'll go back to work uh, and what that will look like. Wives are asking uh, whether they will go back to work and what that will look like. Whether they will stay at home for a little bit with the children or maybe invest in something else as they take a, a different look on life after lockdown. Many people are asking different questions of their life as, as we ask as a church ourselves, what will life look like after lockdown? And that really is the question that we have as we look to rebuild the rhythms of church life. And as next week we'll look at chapters 4 to 6 of Nehemiah, which deal with the opposition to the rebuilding of the wall. But this week, we'll focus on chapters 3 and 7. And these chapters speak about really how they rebuilt the wall and why it was so important. And in the same way, it will help us understand how we should rebuild the church family. And secondly, why we should see it as a priority. And we rebuild the church community as we all work side by side as we'll see through chapter three and then we do that because as we see in chapter seven we cherish each person in the church family and so firstly we rebuild the church community as we all work side by side in the book of nehemiah written around 400 bc Nehemiah receives news of the broken down walls of Jerusalem and its gates which have been burned with fire. It causes him to weep, mourn, fast and pray out of a love for his people. And then he returns to Jerusalem to help his people as they've returned from exile in Babylon. Rebuilding is really one of the key themes in the book of Nehemiah, hence why we're looking at it as we look to rebuild regular church life in the coming weeks. And as you read chapter 3 of Nehemiah, there's phrases that are repeated throughout. The phrases next to him, next to them, or beside them are scattered throughout the chapter. 
there are 21 mentions of people working next to each other throughout the chapter. And they work together in rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. And as they do that, it will bring peace and safety to the city. Because if the walls are not secure and the gates not put in place, then they will be vulnerable to attacks from the enemies. But with the walls and gates restored to full operation, as the people work side by side, the normal life can be restored safely. I suppose it's a little bit like that when you work side by side. It's a little bit like that in the game of rugby. When it comes to a rugby scrum, for example, you all need to be bound together tightly. I might know this. As you drive the scrum forward together. And the only way that it works is if every single person in it drives as hard as they can and pushes together. Together, tightly bound together in a scrum. But unlike a rugby scrum, we are not bound together arm in arm trying to drive each other forward as hard as we possibly can. But we are bound together in love as we seek to serve one another in love. As we seek to advance the gospel by serving one another in love. And we have a a role to play in that as we seek to, to push the kingdom of God forward in service. Whether that's welcoming people on a Sunday morning or teaching at S Club or helping at Radar or Impact or Spectrum or Baby Box or Toy Box or in the music team or even just doing manual things like cutting the grass or doing other things in the building or even simply just coming to the prayer meetings on a Wednesday at lunchtime or Sunday evenings. Or simply making a phone call to encourage someone in the Lord as you seek to speak to them about Jesus. Whoever we are, we all have a role to play in advancing the kingdom of God through the local church as we are bound together in love. However, as we look later in the passage at verse 5, there's the challenge that not everyone has that mindset. Not everyone wants to rebuild the wall. As it says in verse 5, the next section was repaired by the men of Tekoa, but their nobles would not put their shoulders to the work under their supervisors. Different people all get involved in the rebuilding project, but the nobles of Tekoa, well, they refuse. Interestingly, the men of Tekoa are happy to do the work, Yet it's their elders or nobles who think themselves above the role of getting down to lift the stones, make the cement, and rebuild the wall. Now, it's unlikely that many of us would describe ourselves as a noble. Yet, especially off the back of lockdown and the restrictions, we may be drawn into the same temptation of acting just like the nobles. So what does that look like? What is that? Well, it might look like saying, yes, I come to church on a Sunday or perhaps watch online, but I'm definitely not going to get involved in service. No way. It's the thought that it's okay if everyone else does that thing, but I'm not going to get involved. Don't expect me to do that. 
Well, if that's you, how would the Bible describe that mindset? As we think about that, interestingly, a couple of weeks ago, we had a a pastor's, an FIC pastor's fraternal discussing spirit-led leadership. And the speaker described the difference between being led by the spirit and acting in the flesh. A real contrast. And he spoke about that from Galatians 5. There's a key verse in Galatians 5, verse 13, saying, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Do you see the contrast? Now that Christ has set you free from the slavery of sin and the power of it in our lives, we now have a choice. We can indulge the flesh and therefore live for ourselves. Or we can live by the Spirit and humbly serve one another in love. And so perhaps we need to actively fight against the comfort, the comfort of just living for ourselves as opposed to doing what we know to be right as we walk by the Spirit, as we are led by the Spirit. God calls us not to live for ourselves in our own comforts, but instead as we are led by Him, by His Spirit, then we serve one another humbly in love. Isn't that what the Apostle Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, that that really we are not to do anything out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. This is really the wonderful reality that faces Nehemiah, as everyone else does exactly that. They work side by side, rebuilding the walls and the gates. Throughout the chapter, various people in various places of authority put their shoulder to the work. In verse 8, you see people working outside their normal skill set. set. As Oziel, son of Harahai, one of the goldsmiths, repaired the next section, and Hanahai, one of the perfume makers, made repairs next to that. They restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. You can imagine that goldsmiths and perfume makers might not be the people that you'd automatically choose to rebuild a wall. But there was a job that needed doing, and God gave them the strength and the gifts to do it. And that's really the the most important thing. If there's a task in hand, it's more about how we approach that. Do we hold back and wait for someone else to fill the gap? Or do we seek, seek to meet that in whatever way we possibly can? So often that's how the Lord uses us. As we step outside what is our comfort zone often and do something that we'd really never expect. As we see in verse 9, it's not just those outside their normal vocation that are called to rebuild the wall, but those outside their normal social status. As Reha, son of Hur, ruler of half-district of Jerusalem, repaired the next section. From goldsmiths to perfume makers to rulers of Jerusalem and even the daughters of rulers, as it mentions later in verse 12, all people put their shoulder to the work of rebuilding. 
And this is the vision picked up again by the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians, as every person is just so necessary when it comes to the body of Christ, that is, his church. As he says in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12, just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. It doesn't matter which role you play in church, as each of us is precious to God. Each of us makes up the body of Christ, his church. Therefore, if we're able to serve, then we should do that as we seek to build one another up in love. And if we're unable to serve, perhaps in a, in a practical, hands-on way, we can pray for the work and know that God cherishes us just as much because we are part of his precious body. And that leads us to our core motivation in rebuilding the church, in doing that work, as we cherish each person in the church family. As I say, we'll look at chapters 4 to 6 next week as we discuss the opposition to the rebuilding project. But as we turn to chapter 7, the wall has been rebuilt and Nehemiah wants to appoint leaders. As he says in verse 1, After the wall had been rebuilt and I had set the doors in place, the gatekeepers, the musicians and the Levites were appointed. So after the wall is completed... Nehemiah puts certain people in specific positions and each person is delegated to a certain role. And so it is with us too, whether that's inside the church or even outside the church, we want to know what our role is as we seek to care for the people put under our charge. Interestingly, only the Levite people qualified for temple ministry, which is why they are singled out at the end of the list only as they presented blood sacrifices on behalf of the people of God could they atone for the sins of the people. And this foreshadows the work of Christ, who is our high priest, who presented himself to atone for our sins. The Levite priests were to be those people who were people of integrity. And that's Nehemiah's concern here too, as he put in charge his brother Hanahai with Hananiah, the commander of the citadel, because he was a man of integrity and feared God more than most do. And that's the important thing in the appointment of leaders, as we want to walk with integrity and the fear of the Lord. In other words, we strive to live holy lives as we seek to live for the Lord and humbly confess our sin and repent when we don't. And so in the appointment of leaders, he has done that, and then he appoints elders. Nehemiah takes a a registration of the people in verse 5. Later in the passage there, he says, My God put it in my heart to assemble the nobles, the officials, and the common people for registration by families. I found the genealogical record of those who had been the first to return. The genealogy of the people was so important as it helped them to trace their descendancy all the way back to Abraham. Just as Nehemiah takes a registration of of God's people who have returned from exile, so we too 
here at LCBC have a register of those who identify as members of the church. Those who have identified as followers of Jesus Christ and want to be accountable to love and to serve all those people in the church. We don't need to be Jewish or from a certain nation to be part of God's people, but it is by faith in Jesus Christ alone that we are part of his body. It's not our class, not our age, not our race, not our gender, not our nationality, not our interests that unite us, but the gospel of Jesus Christ that brings us together as his people. A place where we experience the forgiveness of God as we have been brought back to God because we are not our own. We are God's. We're not our own. We are God's. We belong to him because we have been purchased for a purpose. And that purpose, as one catechism says, is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And as we do that, as we delight in him and as we delight in serving his people and building them up in love, then we live a life which will bring glory to God. Who are God's people? Well, as we look at that section in verse 7 to 69 in chapter 7, we see that the family census of returned exiles from Babylon is listed there. A modern writer would probably add these over 250 names to an appendix at the back. But the list of the returned exiles reproduced in chapter 12 is really important. It displays who were the authentically Jewish people and therefore who belonged to the people of God at the time. In the same way, it's true for us today as we maintain a register of those who have made a clear declaration of faith. We know who those people are who have declared Jesus as Lord of their life and Savior from their sins. We know who those people are who have been baptized and who still have to make that step of faith. And we know who the people are who come along to church but yet have still to make that decision to have Jesus as Lord of their life. And we keep a record of this as we Pray for each person and cherish those whom God cherishes. As we pursue one another in love, because we don't do it because we're nosy, but we love one another and we want to grow in godliness. We want to grow in our affections for Jesus. As Nathan mentioned the other week, that the light of the spirit of Jesus in us would shine in the darkness. But it also means that as a member or someone who identifies as a follower of Jesus Christ, that we will contribute to the work of the rebuilding of God's church and the advancement of the gospel to the nations. As it says in chapter 7 from verse 70, it mentions what the people do. Some of the heads of the families contributed to the work the governor gave to the treasury 1,000 darics of gold, 50 bowls, and 530 garments for priests. 
Some of the heads of the families gave to the treasury for the work, 20,000 darics of gold and 2,200 minas of silver. The total given by the rest of the people was 20,000 darics of gold, 2,000 minas of silver and 67 uh, garments for priests. To give you an idea, to translate it somewhat, 1,000 darics of gold is about 8.4 kilos or 18.5 pounds. 20,000 darics of silver is about 170 kilos or 370 pounds. 2,000 minas of silver is about 1.2 metric tons. And 2,000 minas of silver is about 1.1 metric tons. It is to say that not only did the head of the families, but all those in whatever age and stage and season of life gave abundantly to the rebuilding of the wall. And for us today, whether we don't mandate a specific amount or percentage of our income, but we do want to be radically generous towards the Lord in all that we do. We want to give God our best, give him our first fruits, that is, the first portion of our funds each month as we live by faith each month. Yet unfortunately, well, ultimately, it's not really about the money. It's about our hearts. Because God doesn't want your money. He wants you. He wants all of you, every part of your life. Because when you realize what Jesus has done for you, what he has done for you on the cross, that he has purchased you from an eternity in hell to an eternity in heaven, that you will see him one day face to face, that you will have an eternity with him. That will lead us to a joyful and radically generous life. Because when we think of our Heavenly Father, we think of the the best that He has given. He has given His Son for us. That we would respond in praise, in joy, and in generosity. Because all of this really does come back to our view of who Jesus is. If you cast your mind uh, back a few weeks to 1 Peter, we discovered... What is true there is also true here in the study of Nehemiah. As we read from First Peter, chapter 2, verse 4 to 6, speaking of Jesus, it says, As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone. The one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. So when we think about building, if Jesus Christ is the cornerstone of your life, and we are being built up like living stones on him, then there is really only one question. There's only one question that boomerangs back to us this morning. Is Jesus precious 
to you. Is he precious to you? Because if he is precious to you, then his bride, the church, will be precious to you. And you will cherish her as that. You will love her, cherish her, and want to see her blossom and flourish as you serve her with joy and generosity to bring glory to God our Father. When we see Jesus as precious, we give all that we are to him and his people. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for your amazing, gracious goodness to us that you have lavished upon us in our Lord Jesus. We thank you that he is precious to us. We pray that you would help us to see him as precious and that we would see your bride, the church, as beautiful and precious and cherish her as we seek to serve one another humbly in love. Help us, Lord, to see that, to see that vision that we want to serve one another, we want to build one another up in love. Help us to, to, te- to turn from our own selfish ways and seek to bring you glory as we build each other up. And we pray that we, we would do this for Jesus' sake and for your glory. In his name, amen. But as we close, let me read again those verses from 1 Peter. See, I lay a stone in Zion a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. What a joy that is to know. Let's go out this week uh, and glorify God and enjoy him forever. Let me pray just to finish. Heavenly Father, thank you for our time together this morning uh, and for that wonderful challenge and encouragement from your word. Lord, help us be are people who work side by side to build up your church, to build your kingdom, and be a people who cherish each and every one of us to build each other up together in love. Help us do that in this coming week and beyond. We ask for your glory. Amen.